The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Good morning. Join Greg and Ethan in welcoming you today. It's a joy to be standing here in front of you where Scott stands in his absence. A great privilege. I've been looking forward to this. It's been some time since I've done this, so I'm kind of anxious to hear myself this morning. But when you see me up here, they've scraped the bottom of the barrel. Could, I'm sorry? Could be like the uh, preacher I heard about that was going to this home for lunch one Sunday, and at the door, he saw the little boy of the family coming into the church off the parking lot, and he stopped him and said, Son, what are we having for dinner today? And the little boy said, skunk. The preacher said, excuse me? And boy, the preacher preached the shortest summer than he'd ever preached because he wanted to get over there and see that. So with the service over, he headed off across town to the home where he was to share in the meal, walked in and just kind of quickly, casually greeted everybody and hurried right back to the dining room to see it. And there on the dining room table was a large platter of fried chicken. And the preacher said, son, I thought you said we were having skunk today. And the little boy said, well, I was just going by what my mother said. She said, we're going to have to have that old skunk sometime. Might as well have him today. Well, you're stuck. Would you take your Bibles and be turning to the New Testament book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 2. If you're a student of the book of Hebrews, you know that it's an alternating sequence of two things. You have a powerful segment of truth or teaching of truth, and then there is interjected an incredible solemn warning. And many people pay no attention to the warnings because they are awfully tough. See, many people read these warnings and they give some thought to them, but to try to apply them is a different story. Because the series of warnings interjected into the book of Hebrews between these incredible segments of teaching are very serious. And they're very stiff-arming warnings. And the first one comes here in chapter 2, the first four verses, which is what we're dealing with today, and in particular, the first three verses, and the fourth verse is a kind of tail to the kite that adds to the statement at the end of verse 3. So I'm reading from the King James Version, whatever version you have is fine, but the King James Version will be on the screen. And there may be some difference of words as you follow along in whatever translation you have, but that won't be a problem. You just follow along as I read aloud and just allow me the privilege to pull over and park at at certain points for interpretation. Notice the first word here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. It's the word therefore. And it actually is for this cause or for this reason And that takes you back to the speech of God in chapter 1. There's an ascending speech of God in chapter 1. 
The word prophets in verse 1, the term the angels in verse 6, and the term the sun in verse 8. And that's an ascending agency. Prophets are the least, though not at all unimportant. And then angels who are higher than prophets. And then the sun overwhelms all of them, which is the whole point of this book. Because the book of Hebrews says the sun is better than, and the first thing that he is better than is any previous or present or future spokesman for God that might have been assigned or that might exist. And that's what chapter 1 is about. And there are a series of, of quotations that are a masterpiece couplings together of a great apologetic for the deity of Jesus and his superiority over any other spokesman God has ever sent. And Jesus is the fool, and he is the final word of God. And so on the basis of that, or because of that, chapter 2 opens with the word therefore, for this cause. Now note the pronoun we, and that necessarily is every Christian. That's all Christians. He says we ought to give the more earnest heed. And the word ought is the word for imperative. It's obligatory. It's not optional. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Now you put the H words together. And if you don't get anything else out of this. You need to let this get off at your unloading dock this morning. This is the key to the Christian life. It begins with hearing, and if it does not progress through heeding, then your hearing is in vain. And if it progresses through heeding, it cannot be selective heeding. It has to be full-orbed in light of what we hear from God, period. Period. To balk at it or to reserve anything or to make any reservations to the contract of what God calls for in our life and from our life is to counsel the contract. After all, this is God speaking. And so it says it is imperative that we give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time... We should let them slip. Now, the King James Version is about the only translation on the market that translates this as, lest any time we should let them slip. See, this is not the meaning of the phrase. This is not the truths that are slipping away from our grasp. It is we who are slipping by the truths that God has spoken. All right, verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and that word means sure and reliable and certain, and what the writer is talking about here is when he says the word spoken by angels, he's referring to the law. See, the human agency for the law was Moses. But the supernatural agents for the giving of the law, and the Bible says this numerous times, In the Old Testament, Paul echoes it in Galatians chapter 3, and it's recorded throughout the Bible, 
that the supernatural agents for the giving of the law was angels. And he says here, if the word spoken by angels was sure and reliable and certain, and by the way, he's not just talking about the law, he's talking about any word spoken by angels as representations of God's speech. And he says every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or a just payoff, a just repayment of reward. And that word just indicates that this is negative reward. It's also true of positive reward, but he's talking here about the reprisal against sin. Transgression and disobedience. In other words, if that received a just recompense of reward, that is, if a person breaks the law, if a person does not keep the word of God, then that person, those people, get a just repayment of reprisal. So again, note the fact that he's talking to Christians here. Verse 3 says, how shall we, See, if they did not get off under a lesser voice from God, as big as it was, he says, how shall we escape? How shall we get off if we violate the greater word from God? So how do we violate it? He says, if we neglect so great salvation. And the greatness of this salvation is threefold. It's great in its conception. In other words, before we ever saw it, before we ever heard of it, before it was ever enacted or established on the stage of time and history, it was great in its conception because God purposed it. It was purposed and planned in the great heart of God. It was purchased and paid for by Jesus the Son, and then it's protected and perpetuated by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the salvation is great in its confirmation. Verse 4 here of Hebrews chapter 2 says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. And then thirdly, the salvation is great in its content, both with positive and negative aspects. In other words, we're saved from some things, But we're saved for some things. And that's another message altogether. I'm I'm telling you, this is indeed big time stuff. This is big territory. And because of time, we'll just be able to stumble in and stumble back out. This before us this morning is the first warning in the book of Hebrews. And I want us to think this morning as we give you the outline... I want to think about the sins that are identified and the sins that are defined here in verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 2. And we're dealing with the sins that are defined here because that's always the issue when God warns. Sins are always the issue when God warns. In fact, the only problem God has, as far as we know, And the only problem he's ever had is the one identified for us here in this passage. God deals with it as necessity requires, and necessity requires it constantly, because sin is such a constant thing. 
And God never varies in his attitude towards sin. God has never been short of full hatred for sin. Why? Because if sin had its way, it would destroy God. But God is going to have his way and fully and finally and forever destroy it. So there are several sins defined here, and these are sins that Christians may. In fact, Christians are more likely in a way to commit these than lost people are. At least two of these sins. There, there are four of them mentioned here in the text. One of them is called transgression there in verse 2. One of them is called disobedience also in verse 2. And these are postgraduate degrees in themselves. The very words that are used here. The third one is drifting in verse 1. And the fourth one is neglect in verse 3. And, and you'll have to argue the order of the last two here because I personally believe that neglect always precedes drifting or is actually coordinate with it. In other words, when one occurs, the other has had to occur. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, once you begin to explore what's here you soon discover that it's a very uncomfortable passage because what it indicates has no leeway. God cuts no slack here. And that's what I mean when I say the Christian contract is a very intense contract. It creates peace. It creates casualness. But it also, it also is crucial in crisis. And the, and the tension of the Christian life is this. To live in the middle ground between those two points all the time. That's why you have tension in your life as a Christian. That's why I have tension. Every Christian has tension because we're caught in the middle ground between these two points. With a subsurface peace, much like a, a submarine under the ocean. There could be a, a hurricane raging on top. But that submarine might not even know it, but there's still a hurricane raging on top. And so we as Christians live in an uneasy tension all the time between this peace and this stress all the time, every day. So let's take these one at a time, go as far as we can, allow God to really speak to us as we seek to hear from him today. Let the Holy Spirit quicken our hearts, our thinking. First of all, think with me about the sin of transgression. You see, God has prescribed a way for us to walk. And he's prescribed a path for us to walk in and a path to walk upon. Isaiah 30, 21, God says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And this word transgression describes the person who has crossed over God's boundary line. Outside of God's prescribed way, and they've gone their own way in spite of the clear revelation of God, and that person gambles time and eternity, soul and self, on stepping across God's boundary line, violating the clear revelation from God. And lest anyone try to look pious, the Bible is very clear we've all done it. All of us. And this word transgression means that a person willfully 
crosses, deliberately crosses the boundary line, and that person chooses to go outside the basis of God's revelation, all that he's instructed us to do, all that he's instructed us not to do. And this is indeed a sin of commission. It's the only one of these four that is a sin of commission. And that's going to begin to make us very uncomfortable because it's the sins of omission that score Christians. See, most Christians are not guilty of radical, radical sins of commission. Indeed, they may be, but they may be very guilty of the sins of omission. And that's where the problem comes in. This is the reason for this warning here. All right, look at the second sin defined here. The sin of disobedience. I want to give you a principle that you need to underscore, at least in your thinking. If you're taking notes, just jot it down somewhere in your notes. But this is a principle that never varies. Every spiritual option begins... All spiritual options begin with hearing, at the point of hearing. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So every spiritual option begins, all spiritual options begin at the point of hearing. Jesus spoke more about hearing than he did any other thing. If you don't believe it, go back and read through the Gospels. Jesus dealt more with hearing than he did anything. In Matthew 13, 13, Jesus said, Hearing you will not hear. Now that's not double talk. He said, hearing you will not hear, seeing you will not see. And he also said, be careful what you hear, be careful how you hear, and be careful that you hear. All of that means that you and I are responsible to place ourselves under the sound of as much truth as we can ingest. Possibly. But not simply for the purpose of merely saying that we listened to a Sunday school lesson or we listened to someone bring a message or a sermon or some type of inspirational teaching agenda, but rather to hear in order to heed and honor God above everything else. So everything about the Christian life from our vantage point starts at the point of hearing and you have no options without it. There are no spiritual options except at this point of hearing. See, we're looking here at the sin of disobedience. And you may be wondering, well, what does hearing, how does hearing coincide with this aspect of it? Well, obedience comes about by placing yourself underneath the truth rather than above it. See, we tend, and I'm not guessing at this, And I'm not manufacturing anything, but we tend to place ourselves above the truth. We tend to elevate ourselves above what's being said and stated and sermonized where we say things, well, 
like, well, I've, I've heard all that before. Why can't he say something fresh? Why can't he say something differently? Or I don't like the unattractive way he says that. And you know what happens when we say that? Satan scratches that person, a person like that, quickly off God's chart of possibilities. See, communication is not what I'm saying. It's what you're hearing. It's how you're hearing. And so we tend to place ourselves above the truth. I'm not guessing. And we take a stance of superiority over the truth and the teacher. Obedience comes about by hearing the hearing of truth where we place ourselves underneath it with the presupposition that its authority holds. And when you stand up, when you rise up from underneath that truth that you've heard, you're on your way to obey that truth that's already over you in its authority and you rise up to obey it. And undertake it and carry it out what God has issued and assigned you to do. Instructed you to do. That's why he says here in Hebrews 2.1. That which we have heard. And he says we need to give the more earnest heed to what we've heard. Lest we miss it. Lest we miss out on what God has for us. So obedience comes about by being underneath the truth. From a position of presupposed submission to the truth and disobedience comes about by listening see it's not hearing but listening alongside of what's being stated and revealed where a person merely listens and may even agree with it but has no thought or intention of submitting to the prescribed way see here's the problem And I'm not guessing about this either. I know us. See, we go to the limit of our comfort zone and we balk on God when he calls us to step beyond our comfort zone and it's a carelessness in listening to God. And this is a sin of omission. And we commit it all the time. All the time. It's what our culture calls selective listening. You see, we listen. You're listening now. I heard about an elderly lady in church one Sunday, a very sophisticated lady, who heard the pastor preaching, and in the course of his sermon, he used the word britches. Well, she stopped him after the service that morning and said, the very idea... And she was just hot with indignation. She said in a Sunday morning service, in a Sunday morning sermon, to use such an uncouth, unsophisticated word as the word britches. And she just cut loose on that preacher. Well, he stood there and took it for a while and finally said, Ma'am, do you remember anything I said before? I said the word britches. And she thought for a moment and said, well, no, I don't. He said, do you remember anything, any, anything after I said the word britches? She said, well, no, I don't. He said, well, then for your sake, it's good that I use the word britches. Or you wouldn't have gotten anything out of my message. 
You see, we listen. We Baptists, we're good listeners. But we pick and choose what we want to do about all this. Am I right? This is yes, this is no. We pick and choose what we want to do about all this. And anything that's called for that takes us beyond our comfort zone, we balk at it and we make excuses and we go back to our comfort zone. And I'll just quite frankly tell you, it's the quickest way to reprobate living in church. I'm telling you, this is a very uncomfortable text. So here's a rule of thumb. Every sin of commission is preceded by one or more sins of omission. Careless listening. That's what a disobedience involves. A sin of omission, careless listening, breaks out into an act of commission, which is why we must, it's imperative, he says, that we give the more earnest heed to the things which we hear, the things which we have heard, lest we miss the heart of God, lest we disobey. All right, very quickly, very quickly. The third sin identified here in this text is the sin of drifting. And that's what we've titled the sermon in keeping with the alliteration of it. The sin of drifting. The King James Version says we should heed these things, lest, rather we should heed these things that we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Now that's the only time in your English Bible in the New Testament that that word slip is used. It's really the word drift and just about every other translation, that's the word that they use here, drift. And it's all important that we understand that he's not talking here about the truth slipping away from us. Rather, it is us who are drifting by the truth. See, truth is stationary. Truth never moves. It never changes. Truth never alters. It never shifts. Truth is fixed. It's steadfast. So it's not the truth that's drifting. We are capable of, and oftentimes, more so than not, we drift by truth. In John Steinbeck's classic novel, The Winter of Our Discontent, there was a key character in there, and these are the lines, some of the lines that he stated. He said, men can fight against the big things. What kills them is erosion. They get nudged steadily into failure. They drift into it. They fail ever so slowly. End of quote. Friends, nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing of worth, Ever drifts upstream. And what's more, no Christian ever gets anywhere worth going to by drifting. No Christian ever deliberately decides to be defeated. I've never met one. They just deliberately decide to be defeated. No Christian ever does that. Christians just drift into defeat. Few sinners ever deliberately decide to be damned. They just drift into it. 
Friends, drifting is a very, very deceptive thing. Do you see what this text is about here? Drifting occurs unconsciously. Drifting occurs inconspicuously. And especially does it occur inconspicuously if you think you're on a good course, but you haven't considered all the chartings. Friends, there are drifting influences everywhere. There are drifting influences all around us every day. And the influences around us are always at work. They they never tire. Think about the winds of circumstance. The winds of circumstance alone would push us away from God. But not only that, the steady movement of time mesmerizes us so we drift just day after day we drift we we go through routine things but we still drift we may go to church but we still drift here's a big one regular intake of truth without proper adjustment in full obedience Remember, obedience, hearing underneath it, rising in presupposed submission to obey it. But regular intake of truth without proper adjustment will cause drift. The cross currents of the flesh cause us to drift. That's a big one. See, the flesh is like a jack-in-the-box in all of us. The flesh is just waiting to be triggered and tripped by any little circumstance around us. Just any little bitty thing. Or the waves of temptation sweep upon us. Like waves of the ocean upon a ship. And it may be subtle. It may be silent. It may be slow. But drifting is very deceptive. Drifting is very deadly. Just like that ship out on the open sea, and it's allowed to drift, it's just a matter of time till disaster strikes. And a ship that drifts will always get lost. A ship that drifts will usually run beyond any provisions that were available on course, And a ship that drifts will likely get in a storm and ultimately crash on the rocks. Friends, there are people like that around us everywhere, all day long. There are people like that in this place today, drifting. And it's a common sin. No wonder it's here for you and I as Christians, especially early in this book, to alert us to the danger of it. And it's a sin of omission. And this is where the rub comes in, folks. You see, we feel we guard ourselves fairly easily against the sins of commission, especially overt sins. But we tend to think that the sins of omission are far more respectable. And all right? That's why it's so easy to drift. Drift. And we're guilty of refusing to face really tough truths like these here. 
And that's one of our problems. We will not face up to the stiff arming of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon our life in those stiff arming situations. We want to listen to these type of things and quickly go on our way and go on our regular course. God help us to really rightly hear when he speaks to us. All right, then the fourth sin, and I'll just mention it and we're through. The sin of neglect. In the terms in which the writer here speaks of it, I believe, personally, I believe that this may be the greatest sin that Christians can commit. The sin of neglect. And that's why he says, how shall we, how shall we of all people as Christians escape if we of all people neglect? You see, the word neglect means to make light of, to treat lightly or to treat something as being unimportant. Where we're glib about the things of God, where we yawn in God's face. How shall we escape if we treat lightly something that God invested everything in and Jesus shed his blood in agony in order to secure these things for us? That's what he's saying. And then we turn around and dictate our own terms to this contract by selective hearing, selective listening. Friends, we do not have the luxury to minimize what God majors on. And we do it, we minimize it through selective listening. See, we don't do it by intent. Oh no, of course not one of us would be guilty of that. We just start balking when we get to the edges. When we get to the edges of our comfort zone, we start balking on God. Friends, this is not a legal statement here. It's a warning to enable us to get in on the best that God has for us. Are we maximizing what he's placed within us? I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads together or close your eyes. In just a moment, we're going to stand as Ethan leads us, as he directs us. In our time of responding... But there are things that need to be dealt with here today in your life, in my life, all our lives. You may be here this morning and you've you've never said yes to Jesus. He stands ready to receive you, to forgive you, to save you from your sin, your sin. Will you by grace in faith listen to him and respond? And then dear Christian. Where are you today in light of some transgression or some aspect of disobedience or some aspect of drifting, maybe tragically drifting today? Or you have neglected something that God has placed major emphasis on that he wants in your life and from your life, but you've left undone, you've left it unattended to. Jesus stands ready to Meet us at our points of need in our lives today. Will you let him do his great work?
Father, we thank you for the great work that you have secured in our salvation. So great salvation. How can it be exhausted if it's so great salvation? can't be. Everything you needed to do to secure that for us, you've done. Father, we want to respond by grace and faith. And many here have. We know that we're in Christ. We know that we're Christians. We know that we're saved. Maybe someone here who does not know that. Father, move in their life. Move in our lives as Christians. To help us see these sins that you have defined for us. And you've given us a warning. Father, forgive us of these sins of drifting. Of neglecting. Speak to our hearts now. And Father, may we only in these next few moments do precisely what you place in our hearts to do. Nothing else, just what you place in our hearts to do. Not to disobey, but to obey what you place in our hearts to do. In Jesus' name, just in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand in a moment as Ethan instructs us. I'll be standing down here at the front as our pastor does. If I can pray with you, that would be my joy. If you just want to come kneel and pray, whatever it is, we just ask you to be obedient to what Jesus places in your heart to do. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.